Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIconf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I speak with Jason Dye. He is CTO of Big Data Technologies at Intel and one of my co-chairs for the AI conference in Beijing. I wanted to check with Jason on the status of Big DL. And Big DL, as you know, is a deep learning library written on top of Apache Spark. Specifically, I wanted to ask him uh, how companies are starting to use Big DL and uh, what sorts of use cases they're seeing. And since we recorded this podcast while we were at the first AI conference in Beijing, I also wanted to get his thoughts on the adoption of AI technologies among Chinese companies and uh, basically what sorts of use cases are we seeing in China for uh, AI technologies. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. So I'm here at our first AI conference in Beijing with one of my co-chairs, Jason Dai. And so I thought it would be a great time to catch up with him on a variety of things, including Big DL, the project he has led from the beginning. So welcome to the data show, Jason. Thank you. We last spoke in December of 2016, and at that point, Big DL was just released. So we're now, you know, a full year into it, full year and a half almost. So what have been the latest additions since we last spoke? Yeah, Big DL was actually first open sourced on December the 30th, 2016. So it's about one, the four, one year and four months. So um, we actually got a lot of positive feedback from the open source community. And uh, we also add a lot of new optimizations and functionality to Big DL. Uh, I think it roughly can be categorized into four classes. We do we, we did a lot of optimizations, especially for the big data environment, which are essentially very large scale Intel class, server clusters. So we use a lot of hardware accelerations, our mass kernel libraries, essentially to improve the single node performance. At the same, same time, we leverage the Spark architecture so that we can efficiently scale out and perform very large scale distributed deep learning training or inference. The second part is where we provide very rich support for existing deep learning ecosystems. We can actually directly load models or save models uh, to or from TensorFlow, Keras, Cafe, Touch, and so on. So people can take their existing models and directly load into Big Deal and run it on Spark. So for people who are not familiar with the history of Big DL, what was the original target user and uh, what was the rationale for building Big DL uh, back in uh, in 2016? And were those re- have those reasons been confirmed? Yeah, I think um, when we look at uh, those uh, deep learning usages, uh, basically they, they need a lot of data. They need to process a lot of data. And uh, the data today, if you're going to any organizations, whether it's a large internet companies or more traditional enterprises, typically they're building up their Apache Hadoop, Apache Spark based big data platforms. 
so where all the data are stored and shared. And uh, they are building end-to-end -end, uh, analytics pipelines to ingest the data, process the data, doing the various feature transformations and running machine learning, graph analytics, SQL queries, and so on. So there is a lot of requests from those big data community and the data science community to bring new deep learning capabilities into this big data Apache Hadoop and the Apache Spark ecosystem. And that's our, the primary reason we build Big Data so that we can bring the deep learning capability to this big data ecosystem and make it easier for users to run new big deep learning applications. So for people who are not familiar with deep learning or building deep learning libraries, in your mind, what are the key parts of a deep learning framework? And what, what else needs to be done with regards to Big DL for each of these major parts? Yeah, well, uh, there is a part where, which you provide those uh, functionalities for your deep learning and uh, deep, deep neural networks, including also the linear algebra, those matrix tensor computations. And then there is various neural network specific operations, layers, losses, which you need to provide uh, for, for your deep neural network models. And then you will need a distributed, especially for Big data, you will need a distributed mechanism to do um, model training across a large cluster. So that's what you need for a from a deep, deep learning perspective. And then at the same time, as we are building Big Deal as a standard library on Spark, so there is a large efforts also around how do you seamlessly integrate into the big data ecosystem. So we we, we do a lot of work uh, try to uh, integrate. Uh, those new deep learning capabilities, the way they say, uh, data frames, uh, Spark SQL, the streaming process, Spark streaming, and so on, on Spark. At the same time, we also provide uh, uh, integrations with like, something like Apache Storm or Frink or Kafka by running those deep learning models in a local JVM so that it can be seamlessly integrated into those big data ecosystems. So looking ahead, let's say 12 months, what are some of the major things on the big DL roadmap in your mind? Yeah, well, we'll continue to optimize the performance scalability of big DL across the big data cluster, that's for sure. But at the same time, we see there is, as we interact with our users and customers looking at their use cases, we actually see there is tremendous interest and and requirement on building end-to-end easier to use high-level algorithms or models or even reference use cases. So that's an important part we will focus on to provide more of those out-of-box, easier to integrate use cases and models for different verticals or domains. When you say easy to use use cases uh, and end-to-end -end, uh, machine learning pipelines, I'm assuming that includes documentation. Yes. So uh, what as right now, if I were to download Big DL, what kind of examples should I expect I can uh, play with? Well, there is a variety of different models and use cases you can you can look at. There's uh, those classic uh, deep learning applications, especially around the computer vision, although the image classification, say for ImageNet, although the object detection. Up, um, object localization type of algorithms you can use. And then there is also um, various uh, examples around uh, 
Ang and uh, natural language processing, building a language model, or doing a text classification type of work. And then there is also the application of deep learning models to so structural data, such as fraud detection, recommendation, and so on. So you've used the term end-to-end -end twice. So for uh, those listeners who aren't maybe that steep into uh, data science, can you describe in more precise terms what you mean by end-to-end? -end? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the bigger picture, a industrial deep learning or machine learning applications is actually a very complex end-to-end -end, uh, big data analytics pipelines. So you start with the data ingestion, data processing, ETL, cleaning, and then after that, you will transform your data. I mean, for instance, you can do image augmentations, you can do uh, text tokenization and word embedding and so on. And after that, you will extract the features, uh, doing various feature transformations, feature extractions. And then you, after that, when you have the feature extracted and transformed, you will probably begin with your model training. But even the model training itself could be an iterative process, a pipeline, if you want to do various uh, hyperparameter tuning, the grid search, and so on. And then the result, you will use the result to do various inference and uh, prediction, uh, prediction and uh, but the result of the prediction is just a bunch of matrix, and then you need to do a lot of the post-processing to make, make those results uh, useful, for instance, visualization or, or various post-processing you need. So, so if you look at the whole picture, it's really end-to-end -end pipeline, and uh, there is a deep learning uh, machine learning algorithm model, which is a key component, but there are many other components which are just uh, big data problems. And, yeah, so and then uh, I guess the key point here is that uh, Big DL isn't attempting to solve the entire pipeline. It just fits so seamlessly into the Apache Spark ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, today, I mean, if you have a huge amount of data, probably you already use Hadoop or Spark to do those uh, data processing, uh, feature extraction, post-processing, and so on. But uh, Big DL try to add a new component, basically a, a, a component that's a native built for this big data pipeline with those new deep learning capabilities. And so in, in, in some ways, uh, we're in a very empirical era for machine learning. So you have to do a lot of trial and error, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that it, when you're experimenting, that means actually going back from the beginning of the data pipeline. Yes. It's not, it's not always the case that your experimentation is limited to the algorithm, no. right? So you might, you might realize, oh, the way I process this data might benefit from some other method, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. That's exactly the reason why why we think a integrated approach like BigDL is a is a very good reason for people to use that because you need to going back and forth between those data analytics, data processing, and your your model training, and have it have a integrated software and hardware infrastructure will benefit you a lot. So for for the people who are more closely following deep learning and machine learning, they're they probably are the type of people who get flooded with links to new papers on archive and, and, and things like this. There's so many new architecture, so many new applications and things like this. So, so you as kind of the lead architect of Big DL, how do you, how do you filter out? So how do you decide, okay, so this, this particular approach is mature enough that we can, we can implement it in Big DL because there's so many things happening right now. Yeah. Right? Well, we, we kind of have taken a, a practical or uh, applied uh, deep learning or AI <laughs> approach. 
I mean, since we open source a big deal, there is a lot of users, both community users as well as our customers, have picked up big deal and built those end-to-end -end solutions or pipelines for their use cases. So we look at their, we work with, we work very closely with them and look at their requirement and use cases, and we, yeah, we, in a way, this help us filter out what will be the right technologies we want to implement for our users based on their problems and based on the, the, the how how good so the solutions are. So when we last spoke, Big DL actually wasn't officially open source yet. It was weeks away from being open source. So now you're a year in uh, several months into being open source. So what is the ecosystem now in terms of contributors? Have you expanded much, much more beyond Intel as far as the contributor? Yeah, I mean, if you go to our GitHub repository, you can see there is a lot of open source community interest around the big deal. There is, and we also got a lot of external contributions from, for instance, Caldera, from Alibaba, and so on. They actually contribute a lot of patch as well as a lot of feature requests. So we work with those community very closely to drive the roadmap and drive the new features in Big Deal. So uh, I think when we last spoke, we also kind of, you all sketched out some initial use cases. So now again, a year and several months into the release, what are some of the major use cases for Big Deal? Well, I think there are two different types of uses we, we have seen for Big Idea. One is those cloud and the big data platform service providers. Because Big Idea is a, basically a standard library for Spark. So it's naturally integrated into those end-to-end -end big data pipelines. So AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, Ali Cloud, Baidu Cloud, and so on. All those major clouds have actually included Big DL into their analytics pipeline. Even Databricks Cloud. Uh, yeah, even Databricks <laughs> Cloud. Yeah. And then there is a, a lot of those more of end user type of users who are building different use cases, applications, and using Spark and the big DL. So I think there are different, several different categories. One is so people apply those new deep learning applications to their structured data analytics, for instance, fraud detection, recommendations, ranking, for instance, reunion pain, mass card, uh, essentially, some of the examples who are building those, those applications. And then there are people take advantage of the, the, the breakthrough of deep learning models in computer vision to do object detection, feature extraction, uh, even 3D imaging. And we, we have, for instance, JD, which is very, uh, one of the largest uh, online retailers, which use Big Deal to build end-to-end -end, uh, imager feature extraction. We have been working with, for instance, UCSF, doing different type of medical imaging analytics. And also there's there organizations like World Bank, uh, MLS listing, and so on, all doing something around the computer vision. And the third one is really around the uh, sequence prediction, time series prediction using RNNs. Uh, for instance, Crane is building a sequence-to-sequence -sequence model to do the weather forecasting. And uh, Gigaspace, uh, another partner we are working with, are using Natural language processing to, 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 to optimize the call center solution and so on. So I, I, I would say that as a conference organizer, uh, one of the things that impresses me about Big DL is just the submissions I get on Big DL are now coming from actual companies instead of uh, 
instead yes. of you guys, <laughs> Intel, right? So it's the companies who are using it. So based on what you said, it, se- it seems like there's two ways uh, standard companies are using big deal. The first is replacing maybe an existing machine learning uh, model, uh, maybe recommender or maybe a time series forecasting. And then the other seems to be they're actually uh, using machine learning to kind of open up new opportunities around in vision. So maybe some of these companies never used computer vision before, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. So in uh, in many ways, then I think that uh, uh, deep learning and big DL is not necessarily a uh, a replacement. It's both a replacement and augments your current uh, machine learning libraries, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you mentioned earlier uh, that Big DL also uh, plays nicely with the rest of the deep learning ecosystem. So you mentioned that, for example, that uh, you uh, provide support for loading models from other frameworks. Yes. So is this something that uh, actual uh, customers want, or is this something you guys just wanted to implement? No, actually, this this is important for a lot of, for instance, transfer learning use cases. One example, we have been working with JD, who has trained uh, their object detecting, for instance, SSD model uh, using Cafe on GPU. And then when they try to deploy the model at a scale to do those very large scale uh, object detection and the image feature extractions, and uh, when they build the end-to-end solution with their Cafe model on GPU, they actually run into various problems, including scalability, performance, reliability, and so on. So we actually work with them to directly load the Cafe models they train, and then we build it on Big Deal and Spark, which is nicely integrated with, for instance, HBase, where, where they store their image data, and we're doing the large-scale distributed processing and prediction, and we start the result onto HDFS. So if we look at end-to-end performance, actually we can get around 4x speed up compared to their previous GPU solutions. So, so that's one use case is people actually already use those capabilities so that they can play nicely between those their deep learning ecosystem and the big data ecosystem and the big deal actually plays like a bridge between those two. So how would you describe API of big DL in terms of uh... Is it closer to Torch? Is it closer to TensorFlow? Is it closer to Cafe? It's uh, Big Deal has an API closer to Torch, and we're adding support for new APIs like Keras, for instance. Yeah. And uh, in terms of companies uh, that you that you work with, what is the level of their knowledge of deep learning? Is it is this something you still find yourself needing to convince them that they should try or are you finding more and more companies actually already playing with it? Well, I, I would say um, the interest level around the deep learning and the AI applications is uh, the awareness and the interest level is very high. And uh, people, in, and the, of course, the users and the companies we have been working with, are, they're at different stages. Some are very advanced, basically know how to apply a model to their problem. And they, we need to support them to how we can scale that at a very large scale on their production data in big data platforms and for their big data workflow. There are also uh, users who are, as I mentioned before, they are aware of deep learning, but they are, they are problems they really want to solve because the traditional <laughs> method has, has, is, not, is not that good, but they are not sure how they can 
what uh, what deep learning uh, technologies they can apply to their data. So we also work with a lot of those customers. Uh, in that case, we were working with them on the modeling, on the on, on, on the data science, as well as build out the model which is an algorithm to solve their problem. So at our morning keynotes today, it be it uh, you know one of the things we wanted to highlight is that uh, AI is much more than deep learning. So for example, there's also reinforcement learning. So what are you doing in terms of reinforcement learning? Yeah, I mean we have been experiment. We have been experimenting reinforcement learning um, a little bit. Actually, we have uh, there is a talk uh, in, in this conference. Right. right. Yeah, f- um, from Fudan University actually around how you can run various deep learning, uh, deep reinforcement learning examples on big data. And there is also cases we actually basically bring reinforcement learning into those deep learning model training. For instance, one of the examples is that we are working on those ranking algorithms. One of the algorithms is from Alibaba, IRGAN, which essentially combines GAN and the reinforcement learning try to do a large unsupervised or semi-supervised training. Which I think that's a great step forward because now you can actually leverage those technologies to do those unsupervised or semi-supervised training for your using your own labeled data. So, how would you describe your foray into reinforcement learning? Is this more of a is this R and D or is this something that's customer driven? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's um, it's combined. There is a lot of reinforcement learning algorithms we think it was has a great potential to solve various problems we have seen and there is also realistically a lot of the new algorithms a new method to train deep learning algorithms for instance for for sequence to sequence training for those as i mentioned before the gan and so on you can actually leverage some of the technologies in your in the reinforcement learning to improve the training of the existing deep learning technologies so what about our, uh, the framework from our friends at Rice Lab, Ray? Yeah, we actually have been working very closely with Rice Lab, and we have experimenting with Ray. I think it's a very nice framework, very flexible, and it's great for a lot of advanced use cases. So we will probably use more of it in future, uh, especially for those advanced use cases. So we are also in uh, the middle of our conference here, AI in China. And one of the reasons we want, of course, wanted to bring this AI event here is that when people talk about AI, they usually talk about what's happening in the U.S., Silicon Valley, and things like that. And uh, the second uh, place they always mention is China. So why do you think uh, uh, people should pay attention to China when it when it comes to AI? I think uh, first of all, as, as I mentioned before, we I mean people, I mean especially. People in China, I mean, companies in China have a very high level of awareness and uh, high level of hope for AI to solve real problems. And uh, also, I mean, uh, in Ch- I think in China, you have advantage of people actually really moving fast to apply those uh, new technologies, AI technologies, and with the other available data and the use cases. Very, very rich data, very rich use cases. There is a lot of potential of how you can actually apply your new technologies in AI to the real world applications. And then you can see the impact very fast. And is that, Jason, partly because in China, the market is so competitive. So, for example, you might have 
uh, an idea like, I don't know, bike sharing, and then two months later, there's 40 other competitors. So you have to have some, you have to use whatever you can to gain an advantage. So AI, data, whatever. Well, I, I think uh, in general, I, I think uh, uh, people in China, company in China actually move very fast. And uh, they are very good at uh, experimenting different new approaches. And uh, they, they can always uh, reiterate and uh, refine their approaches. And uh, we see a lot of new technologies get put into the practice uh, very fast. And also combined with all the people you have, all the data you have, all the new use cases you have, that actually makes a great impact. Yeah, because uh, given that a lot of the AI technologies right now rely on big data, in China, you can be a small company and still have 60 million users, right? <laughs> yeah. So one of the areas that I'm not, as, so I know what's happening in China in terms of computer vision, but obviously I don't speak the Chinese language. And so I'm not as clear on uh, how would you describe the natural language technologies and speech technology products in Chinese and uh, the equivalent ones in English. So do they have kind of the same capabilities and same same kind of uh, level of uh, sophistication and maturity? Yeah, I think so. I think those uh, uh, speech recognition technologies for, 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 for Chinese is actually, I think, it was, is adva- as advanced as those in, in English. And do you think that so in, in the West, the voice as an interface has taken off? Is it something that uh, are those uh, what are, what, smart speakers, those kinds of things, are they taking off in China too? Yeah, I, I think people are, are pu- pushing very hard in that in that area. Uh, we see a great uh, trend that uh, this gets people. I mean, a, a lot of people are, are, are want to try it out, and we see a lot of efforts around this area. And then here, here, I guess uh, there's also a lot of investments in self-driving cars, right? Yes, and. Uh, but I'm not as aware. So, for example, in the U.S., you're starting to see some companies go out, like uh, start driving on public roads and things like that. Are you? Are do those happen here in China? Um, there is a different. Uh, well, I, I think there is a lot of self-driving cars in China today, and uh, people are testing them in various ways. And uh, there is companies uh, actually are doing that, but uh, I, I think. Uh, by collaborating with the local government, because this is involve a lot of policy and so on. But China actually have a lot of support for this type of new technologies and uh, is building the infrastructure to support that. So when when we think of AI, we think of mostly we tend to think of algorithms and models, but hardware is an important part of AI. And I think the Chinese government has also made hardware an uh, important priority, right? Yeah, it's one of the. Yeah, it's one of them. And so, how is that playing out? Is it uh, are you hearing about startups? Or? Yeah, there is a lot of startup in China around uh, AI uh, chips or processors. Yeah, there, there's a lot of them. And uh, uh, are they start? Are they still kind of in the uh, let's have simulated hardware, uh, or are they starting to ship actual hardware? Well, there is uh, various examples you can see. I mean, of course, they are at the different stages, but uh, there are various examples you can see that uh, uh, people are, for instance, uh, especially for, for instance, in your smartphone. Actually, a lot, a lot of those uh, new AI technologies, for instance, improving your camera, and they are running those algorithms on, on the hardware. I see. So the Chinese handsets have Chinese might have Chinese chips in them. Uh, some of them. 
Uh, interesting. So the other the other area where I think uh, China has really pushed the technologies is in uh, uh, computer vision and facial recognition. It seems like there's a lot of companies getting funding and and, and uh, really uh, raising a lot of money, but also having a lot of applications out in the real world. One example is that China has very, I would say, <laughs> probably one of the best online payment uh, industry. Right. And this will have a lot of uh, requirements for, you know, facial recognition and other type of stuff to improve the online payment industry. I think, uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, there are a lot of use cases in China which requires a type of new technology. Wow, fantastic. So this has been a great conversation. And... Uh... Uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you again in the future. Sure. Thanks for having me here. You can find Jason Dye on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.